Christ is risen. And you say he's risen indeed. Amen. It actually sounds a little better when we're all in the same room together, I imagine. But uh, happy Easter morning to all of you. That is the story about how the resurrection changes the world. How the resurrection infuses everything with hope and new life. We'll be talking about that here this morning. Uh, I'm Greg Boyd, senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church, and so glad to have you here joining us. And that was an incredible worship service. The kind of worship service that is, you know, four more weeks, we'll be together. All things, you know, we'll keep an eye on, on what the spike's doing and stuff like that. But as it is right now, we're playing on four weeks. And see, that worship set like that, you could just, I can imagine the people being in here. And that would be so great and so wonderful. So it's going to happen soon. So hang in there, hang in there. Uh, usually Easter is, uh, I, I, uh, that's the one Sunday of the year, sometimes Christmas too, but I, I, where I wear a tie. So some of you are probably out there, you know, who have been around here for a while saying, where's Greg's tie? Where's the Easter tie? I'll tell you where my Easter tie is. It's in my bedroom. The reason it's in my bedroom, <laughs> I, I, I share too much with you guys. But uh, I, as you recall from a couple of weeks ago, I shared how I gained 18 pounds last year without knowing it because my scale was stuck at 200. It wouldn't go above 200. So I thought, I'm not getting any weight. And it turns out I did. So I couldn't get the tie on. I, my shirt, I couldn't get the top button. Isn't that disgusting? But I, you know, I take encouragement on this fact. I, I read that the average American put on 29 pounds during, the, I read that last, yesterday. It's amazing. Among millennials, he's even more than that. So, so 18, I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm doing, I'm going I'm to work this off one of these days. You wait, I'll work it off. So um, I, I, I want to give an Easter message here this morning, and I'm going to do it by looking at a, a passage that actually is about baptism. You may wonder, well, why would you talk about baptism on Easter? And the answer is that, it, Easter's all about baptism, and baptism is all about Easter. In fact, in the early church, um, Lent started as a 40-day kind of fasting time uh, for baptismal candidates uh, to really get their hearts right with God uh, so that they would then get baptized on Easter. Easter is when everyone wanted to be baptized because, as we'll see here in a moment, it's about identifying with Christ's death and resurrection. Um, so yeah, Easter was when uh, most people got baptized. Now, that, that never was quite as popular in northern climates for some odd reason. Can't figure that out. Uh, I think that it would be great if we had our annual baptism service on Easter. Half the time you have to break the ice to do it. But people would really learn what it means to identify with Christ's death when they go into the water. It's just a thought. We should, you know, ponder that. But I'm, I'm reading from Romans chapter 6. Now, I, I want to start by asking you this question just to kind of prime the pump. Um, Think about something in your life right now. Just sort of do an inventory and keep this on, on the radar screen as you're listening to this message. But is there an area of your life that feels old to you? Stagnant, stale, um, maybe dead. An area that you've maybe just settled where you're just sort of coasting. Uh, you've lost passion for it. Maybe you've lost any interest in it, but you just kind of go on, uh, on by habit. It can be something about yourself an attribute of yourself or characteristic or, 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 or it could be a relationship you have or the relationship that you don't have or it could be your marriage. Uh, what feels, in your life, what feels dead? Uh, where's an area where you, you don't have a dream for it anymore? Maybe you once did, but it's gone. And, and I, I want to be asking this question as you're listening to this message. Uh, might this be an area in your life where God wants to breathe some newness of life into it? Because we're going to see here that the resurrection... Well, it's, it certainly is a great hope about the future and about how, you know, we'll live forever. That's absolutely true and it's wonderful. But it also has implications for today, now, how, how we live. Uh, the scripture we're going to see is, tells us to walk in newness of life 
And so there's a renewing that's supposed to always be going on in our life. What does God want to renew in your life here this morning? Be thinking about that as we're uh, uh, going through this message. So I'm reading from the book of Romans chapter 6. And I'll read 1 through 4. And then I'll pick up uh, at verse 5 a little bit later on. Paul says, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means, Paul says. Absolutely not. Perish the thought. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? We died to sin, apparently. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we should walk, or we can walk in newness of life. All right, let's break this down. So some people are, 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 are thinking, let's go on sinning that grace may abound. Now, why would anyone think that? And the answer is that they think that because Paul just told them that. If you look at Romans 5, and remember in the original, there's no chapter divisions. But uh, he says that wherever sin does increase, grace increases all the more. As, as you know, the, the, the curse was in Adam, but God overcompensates in Christ. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so some carnal-minded people who are, you know, carnal-minded people are always looking at how much sin can we get away with without, you know, losing our salvation or something like that. They, they came to this conclusion. Well, if God loves to just abound in grace and forgiving us, let's let him do that. Uh, it, it's a great arrangement. We, uh, you know, God loves to forgive sin, apparently, and we love to sin. So let's keep on sinning so God can glorify his grace. And we know that there actually were some people in the early church. Uh, they came to be called antinomians, which means the lawless ones. And they intentionally sinned in the most outrageous ways uh, because they were, thought they were giving God a, you know, uh, they're glorifying God by giving him an occasion to forgive them. They might have had ulterior motives. It's possible, I suppose. But uh, yeah, the antinomians. I'm sure they had some good church growth strategies. Um, but so, they, so these people are thinking, should we sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, in the, in the Greek, it's may genito. And it just means not be. They could never be. It's a ridiculous thought. Go on saying that grace may abound. Because he says, don't you know who you are? Go on, go on saying that grace may abound. Don't you know who you are? And now he's going to appeal to their baptism to remind them who they are. And so he says, when you went down into the water... You were baptized into Christ's death. You were identifying with his death. And then when you come up out of his water, you're identifying with his resurrected life. So when you go down into the water, the old self is dead. Now, baptism isn't the thing that kills the old self, but it's the thing that declares that the old self is dead. And old is anything that separates you from God. Everything that would be true were not the case that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That old you that was alive to sin, that old you that was in Adam and that was in rebellion against God, that old rebellious self was put to death. By faith it's put to death. It's as though that old self died when Jesus died. And then we come up out of the water and we're identifying with the resurrected Christ. The newness of life that comes in Christ. So we, we, we always teach around here that baptism is like a, the death certificate of your old self and the birth certificate of your new self. Um, now, if, 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 you know, if you're dead, you ought to have a death certificate, but the death certificate isn't what makes you dead. And if you're alive, you ought to have a birth certificate, but the birth certificate isn't what makes you alive. 
So also, if you're dead in Christ and alive in Christ, you ought to have a death certificate and a birth certificate, though baptism isn't the thing that makes that reality. But given the reality, baptism is, is what expresses that. And so that's why we practice immersion baptism here at Woodland Hills Church, because we think that the symbolism is all about going down into the water and coming up out of the water. And so if you're a believer and uh, have never been baptized by immersion, we just encourage you to have that on your radar screen. Uh, and this summer we'll uh, be having a baptism service and you might want to uh, check that out. So it's a, the birth certificate of our new self, the death certificate of our old self. And then Paul says that we come up out of the water so that just as, just as Christ was raised uh, by the glory of the Father, so also we should walk in newness of life. Now what does that mean, just as Christ was raised from the dead? Because it doesn't seem like he can mean that we're raised exactly the same way that Christ was raised. I mean, when Jesus was raised from the dead and he had a, an imperishable, transformed body. Um, I don't think my body's imperishable. <laughs> it's perishing very, very, very well, thank you very much. And certainly isn't transformed. I guess it's being transformed, but not in the right direction. <laughs> I, I, I like a transformed body. Man, I've been a Christian for 42 years. Where's my transformed body? If, if I'm raised just as Jesus was, why can't I walk through walls? And all the other benefits that come with having a resurrected body. So it, it, it can't mean that, I don't think. And in fact, when, when Paul, in the rest of this uh, passage, when he refers to our future, the, the, the identification with the resurrected Christ, he refers to it as something that's in the future. Something that will take place at the, at the end of the age when our bodies are resurrected. So let's go back to the passage and start with verse 5 and hear what it says. He says, For if we've been united with him, with Christ, in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So note the future tense there. It's past tense that we are united with his, his death, so our old self is already dead, but the union with the resurrected Christ is still in the future. And we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has, has died is freed from sin. Corpses don't wrestle with temptation, right? They just don't struggle with sin. Well, if we're dead, then our real nature is such that we don't struggle with sin. No, we don't experience that yet, but that doesn't change the truth that, in fact, the old self is dead. And he says, but if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So there's that future tense against. We will also live with him. And then he says, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Okay, so that's what's true in Christ. He's dead to sin, but alive uh, to, to, to God. Now, we are in Christ, so all that's true of Christ is applied to us. So then Paul says this, So also you must consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. What's true of Christ is true of you because you're identified with Christ. And that's what the baptism indicates. That's what it declares. So we should walk in, 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 in newness of life. So your old self really is dead. And while we won't experience that resurrected self fully until the end of the age, the fact that we, our old self, is already dead changes things now. Has implications for, for, for how we look at ourselves and how we look at each other, how we understand God, how we understand everything. It has implications now. So Paul says, and this is the important point, consider yourselves 
to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself. The word there is logizomai. It's what's called in the middle voice, which means it reflects back on you, okay? Uh, it, it's like he's saying, let this be the mirror that's on the inside of your head. Consider yourself. Think about yourself. When you imagine yourself, you've got to imagine yourself as you are in Christ, because that's what's really true, that you're dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So this is how Paul answers this question about, should we sin that grace may abound? He's like, are you kidding? If you're surrendered to Christ and you've been baptized within... Perish that thought. That's old you thinking. That's that old self thinking. How much sin can we get away with? That's not who you are any longer. That self died. And since that self died, think about yourself as though that self died. Don't think about yourself as though Jesus didn't die and didn't rise from the dead and as though you didn't die and rise from the dead with him. No. Our thinking is to be aligned with the truth that the cross changed everything. That's what the resurrection declares. The cross changes everything. When Jesus rose from the dead, <clears throat> that was God's promise that, that, that we will live forever. That was God's promise that death will not have the last word on us. And that's glorious truth. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was a declaration that, that what Jesus accomplished on the cross has been accomplished. It's been completed. The enemy's been defeated. The principalities and powers have been destroyed. Death has been defeated. Uh, already those things are true. Already there's a new creation. Already we are restored in Christ Jesus. We don't see that yet. We don't experience that yet. But it doesn't change the truth that it's already there. Everything has already been made new. In principle, the devil's been defeated. Death has been defeated. And we've been liberated. This is what is known in, in, in New Testament studies as, as the already not yet paradox of the New Testament. Already not yet. And this is how the New Testament talks about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Um, already it's true that the cross defeated the enemy, disempowered the enemy, made a mockery of the enemy. That's what the scripture teaches. Already it's true that, that, uh, uh, that, that, that God, God's love is reconciling all things to himself. Already it's true that the creation has in principle been freed and yet we don't yet see this. We don't yet experience this. Uh, some explain this already not yet kind of tension as uh, using the analogy of D-Day and V-Day in World War II. D-Day was when the Allied forces uh, defeated Germany in principle, uh, broke the back of the war machine in Germany, and so it was certain from that point on that, that uh, U.S. allies would win the, the war. But it was another, oh, 15 months or so before V-Day happened, Victory Day, and that's when Germany surrendered. <coughs> Um, and so it's already true in D-Day, but yet not manifested until V-Day. And we're in this in-between stage. But however you explain this already not yet tension, whatever analogies you use, here's the important thing, is that we, we, we understand that in some sense, whether we can make sense of it or not, in some sense, it's already true. It's already true that we're redeemed and reconciled. It's already true that the enemy's been defeated. In some sense, and here's the really important point, Paul tells us to get our mind, minds to line up with what is already true. Though we don't yet see it, we don't yet experience it. Not fully. We won't until the end of the age. Yet our mind is to get lined up with what is already true right here and now because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you might say that we're supposed to be already minded people in a world that's not yet acknowledging that truth. We're already focused on the truth that the world does not yet see, does not yet acknowledge. 
And so the, the, the resurrection, while it's about uh, the good news that we'll never die, we have eternal life and we'll live forever with, with, with God, well, that is absolutely true and glorious. It's also good news for the present. The resurrection is to breathe newness of life into our life right here and right now. And the newness in the way that we understand ourselves and understand each other, the way we look at it, ourselves and the way we look at each other, the way we treat ourselves, the way we treat each other, even the way we conceive of God, the resurrection changes everything. The passage that I think makes this the clearest is one that I have found, it's hard to stay away from this passage. It, 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 this thing came to life for me about four years ago, and it, this happens on occasion where a passage just, it gets this magnetic force where I just can't resist it for very long. I keep finding myself coming back to it. The passage I'm talking about is 2 Corinthians 5. Just an incredible passage. Um, listen to what Paul says here. He says, For the love of Christ urges us on. That's our motivation. That's what makes, why Paul sacrifices everything. He's compelled by this love that he gets from Christ and the love that he has for Christ. He says that the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. That's God's hope, is that, that what he did on the cross will result in our living a different kind of life. Um, so, so here Paul is saying that, that he's compelled by this, this, this vision of, of, of Christ. The, the beauty of this vision of Christ is what motivates him to give up the cushy life he had as a Pharisee and to become this uh, church planner who's always getting shipwrecks and riots and all the trouble that he has. It's worth it, he says, because he's motivated by love. And the part of the, the love that he is most intent on in this passage is he says, because I'm convinced, this is the beauty that motivates him, that since one died for all, all have died. All have died. In some sense, all that is old about everyone, all that could set anyone apart from God. That's what I mean by old. All that would be true if Christ hadn't died on the cross is changed because Christ did die on the cross. It changes everything for everyone in some sense. One died for all, therefore all have died. And, 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 and that's why Paul, a little bit later on here, we'll see, he says, so, so God's not holding anyone's sin against him. That whole sin economy, that whole judgment thing was done away with on Calvary. That's what the resurrection declares. That's why uh, it says in Colossians 2 that the, 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 the principalities and powers are disempowered. That they've got no ammo on us anymore because the sin issue has been taken off the table. All things have been made new. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, so... Because one died for all, and therefore all have died. He says, because of that, we no longer regard anyone from a human point of view. A human point of view is simply the way that humans usually look at other people. What you see is what you get. And usually there's a commentary in our brains wrapped up with that. We just instinctively look at people and judge on the basis of what we see. Well, Paul says, since we know, that, since we know what happened on Calvary, the resurrection proves that it's victorious. Therefore, we don't look at anyone from that normal point of view any longer. We're not supposed to be looking at people normally. We're supposed to be looking at people differently. And here's the difference that Paul says. He says, uh, we no longer look at anyone from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. Uh, for, for, for Paul, Christ used to be just a crucified criminal. That's what you see, right? Just, he looked at it from a normal point of view, a flesh point of view, a worldly point of view. That's all that's going on there. But see, his eyes were opened, and so now he sees something different. Something different. So then he says this. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. <coughs> everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. 
Now, some translations have, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. But the Greek doesn't have that. The Greek simply says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. And what Paul's doing there, I believe, is there's a dramatic pause because he's saying, if anyone's in Christ, well, just look. There's a new creation. That's why he says here, look. Just look. Open your eyes. But open your eyes, not in a normal human point of view way, but rather in a faith kind of way. Look at people through the lens of the cross, through what was done for them on Calvary. Look at people and understand people in light of the resurrection, in light of the victory that God had over all sin, over all rebellion on, uh, on the cross. <clears throat> and he's talking about how, how we see other people. He says, look, it's a new creation. Look at the world as though what God says is true because of Calvary actually is true. All old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. See the world in that light. And then Paul goes on to conclude. He goes, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we're now Christ's ambassadors. And, and our message of reconciliation is God's not holding your sin against you. So be reconciled to God. There's nothing that, that separates you from God now. As you are, you are loved with this perfect everlasting love. As you are, you have this unsurpassable worth before God. Accept your acceptance. Be reconciled to God. That's the message that we're to be proclaiming to the world. So Paul is saying that if you're in Christ, don't look at the world, don't look at people in that normal human way where we just notice what's on the surface. Uh, no, no, we're to have a special kind of vision where we see the truth of what has, was accomplished on Calvary. Paul says, we once regarded Christ from a human point of view. All I saw was a crucified criminal. But then the Holy Spirit opened up his eyes. And so now Paul could see something he couldn't see before. And what he sees is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He sees what the natural eye can't see. He sees what God's doing behind the scenes. He sees a spiritual truth that is not apparent to the natural eye. And then once you get that vision of what God was doing in Christ, it now gives you a new vision for everybody and everything. Because what was going on in Christ on the cross changes everything for everybody and everything. Uh, you now can see people in a whole new light. It's, it's almost like when you come to Christ, you, 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 you're given the gift of x-ray vision. I've never used this analogy before, but now that I, I, I hit upon it, it seems like it's perfect for this, for this point. X-ray vision. When I was a kid, I was really fond of Superboy. In fact, for a while, I thought I was Superboy. Superboy. To the point where I wore my own self-made red cape. I colored it with a red crayon. And I wore it under my clothes when I went to school. We all had to wear these Catholic uniforms. But I had a cape underneath. In case some bad guys broke into the school and were going to you know, do bad things, I would slip away into the bathroom and unveil my secret identity and then come, uh, I guess I shouldn't unveil my secret identity, but I missed that point. So, but I, I would beat up the bad guys and all the girls would think I'm super cool. That's the kind of world I lived in. Uh, so I thought I was Superboy. And, and the thing about Superboy was that he had x-ray vision. He could see through walls, you know, he could see bad guys coming miles away. He could see through anything. It was so cool. And I always wanted that x-ray vision. I used to pretend like I had x-ray vision. Uh, though the only thing I could ever see with my x-ray vision is, is I, I, would, I would, and I don't know where I got up with this idea, but I would see skeletons. I, I would look at people and pretend like I could just see their skeleton, like I could, I could look through their skin. And it was really entertaining to do with nuns especially. I'd like to see the nuns as skeletons. I was a weird kid. I've told you that before. I was something a little strange. I had an active imagination. Uh, so to entertain myself, I would see skeletons all day long. 
<laughs> I see dead people. Okay, I was... I, I learned later on that my stepmother wanted me to see a psychiatrist, but my dad said, nah, this is, he's just a weird kid, let him go. So we've got this x-ray vision. So Paul's saying, if you're in Christ, don't look at the world with your normal vision. You've got to look at it with this x-ray vision, this vision that can see the truth of who people are because of what God has done for them. He's saying, look closer. Look with the eyes of faith. Look with the eyes of love. Look, look at people through the, the lens of, of, of the resurrection. Um, the x-ray vision should allow you to see the already truth in the not yet world, if you can understand that. The already truth in a not yet world. The people that you're looking at, they don't perhaps know that, that, that God's done everything that can be done to reconcile them to himself. They don't know they've got unsurpassable worth. They don't know that they're loved with an everlasting love. They don't know that their old stuff that they carry on all day long has passed away. Half the time, we don't know it either. We forget it. But see, our, our job is to, to get our minds to line up with what is true. And if that is what we believe is true, then our job is to see it by faith. Look past what's on the exterior to see the truth of what God's doing in their life, uh, of what God has done in their life on, on Calvary. Look past that exterior. However others may judge them, whether you like them, their style or not, whether you approve or disapprove, all that is utterly inconsequential. That's, that, that's his normal world way of looking at people. Our job is to set aside that normal that, that abnormal normal, that fallen normal, that judgmental normal, set it all aside and agree with God that this person here was included in the work on the cross. One died for all, and therefore all have died. And you look at people this way, you look at them with eyes of hope. Because you look at them with eyes of love. And love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love believes the best and hopes the best for everybody. And so you look at them and, and, and see them as a, a, a future kingdom person. They have free will, and God won't coerce people to come in, and people can live in, 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 in contrast to the truth. But we leave all that to God. Our job is not to judge. Our job is to hope and to love and to agree with God about everyone's unsurpassable worth, that God has already claimed them as his own. Have that x-ray vision. I can see the beauty in people past whatever external ugliness may be there. If God thinks that they're worth dying for, they obviously have unsurpassable worth. Agree with God about that. So you're driving along and you come upon that corner where there's always that one panhandler. Always there. And, and whereas the other people maybe would instinctively look at this the exterior of the person and have a commentary, a judgment about that. Our job is simply say, thank you, Lord, for that person's existence and degree that, that in some sense their old stuff has already died, whether they know that or not. In some sense, there's nothing that, that separates them from, from God right now other than the fact that they need to accept their acceptance. You look at them and, and, and see them in their Christ-likeness. Envision them at a time when they'll be transformed and all their burdens and all their sins and, and strongholds will be burned away. And disagree with God about their unsurpassable worth. And you bless them. That ordinary boss that you have at work, the person that you notice pumping gas over there, the person you just crossed on the, on the sidewalk, maybe the person that just cut you off on the road, or that person in your life who's got this gangrene breath and the body odor of death. Even the fat person. Yeah, there's an exterior that you got to work through for a little bit there. Uh, but, but, but we're to have x-ray vision. To see what God sees, to see what is true because of Easter morning, semen light of the resurrection. And it breathes newness of life into how we view others, how we view everything. It's especially to do this, uh, folks, uh, use your x-ray vision when, when, when it comes to enemies in your life. When someone attacks us or criticizes us or wants to undermine us or in some ways it's just against us. Our fallen instinct is to zero in on them. Zero in on flesh and blood and get angry. But we've been seeing the last couple of weeks that we're, we're to get rid of that anger. We're not to be walking around with that. Um, 
it's so important that with enemies, we don't let the surface, their behavior, their attitudes define how we respond to them. That's just a normal way of looking at things, and, and we're not supposed to be normal. We're supposed to look at people in a unique way with our x-ray vision. And so you, you, it's important. I, I encourage this as, as a discipline in everyone's life, a regular discipline where you pick out the three or four or ten people that are the hardest for you to love, the ones that you maybe you gossip about them in your brain. You hold a resentment against them the ones that just really disgust you, and you pray for them. Take time to pray for them and, and to love on them and to see them in light of the cross. See them in light of the resurrection. See them with the eyes of love and believe in them. It's the best thing you do with your enemies. It's, it's important to do this with your loved ones because love, our loved ones in our life are often the folks that we are most, are seeing is most habituated. We see them in a habit, you know, because they're always there. And so we, we notice what we always notice. And, and it, there's a sameness to it all. It, it can easily begin to lose its newness of life, but it's important for us to remember that that spouse of yours, that child of yours, that relative, that sibling, no, th th these are folks that one died for all and therefore all have died. Their old self has died. And so you can look at them with eyes of hope and look at them with that newness of life and look at them with the awareness of how precious they are to God and agree with God about that preciousness. And maybe for some of us, the hardest, the hardest way to apply this x-ray vision is on yourself. Because when it comes to ourselves, that's where we're most habituated in terms of how we see ourselves. We've, we've seen ourselves this way all our life. We, it's a habit. It's our autopilot. And see, if you haven't been disciplined about intentionally altering how you see yourself, chances are that the way that you see yourself, the mirror that's in your brain, the way that you talk to yourself, it's mainly a replaying of the tapes of, of, of what others have said about you. We just internalize all those messages and it becomes our self-talk. Some of it's good and some of it's bad. But see, we're not, whoever, whoever determines your self-talk is defining you. And we're, we're not to be defined by anyone other than Jesus Christ. We're not to be an extension of your abusive stepmother or your distant dad or the guy who humiliated you or the friend who betrayed you or all those things. If, we're not, if we don't intentionally reverse those, we just end up playing those tapes all of our life. The URs become the IMs. But see, when Jesus Christ is our Lord, he's the only one who should ever define us. This whole thing is a way of saying, you know, let, let Christ be your definition and nothing else. Consider yourself, consider yourself to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, realize that all that is said in the New Testament about what Christ accomplished applies to you. Can you look past your external failures and the, all the lies that you've believed and the things that were told you and the scars that you've got and the wounds that you carry? terrible mistakes that you've made, maybe people you've hurt, can you look past that? Because that's not the real you. That's still a carryover of the old you. And can you see what God sees and can you agree with God about your worth? How, 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 that, that you are included in the work of the cross, that you are loved with an everlasting love, that, that you, he sees you as holy and blameless and spotless because you're in Christ Jesus and Jesus is holy and blameless and spotless. Can you see yourself as the radiant bride of Christ, decked out in glory? Already that is true. Can you see yourself as dead to sin because that's already true? Can you see yourself walking in newness of life because in fact that is already true? You may not experience it, not fully now. You may not experience much of it at all. But look closer. Look closer. See that already. See with the eyes of faith, the already in this not yet world. It's all about, folks, it's just all about getting our minds to line up with what is true. It's the most fundamental act of discipleship in the New Testament. And all is about what goes on between our ears. 
It, it, this is the main discipleship zone between the ears. Because if this doesn't get taken care of, nothing else is going to get taken care of. And so you have this repeated refrain in the New Testament. I'm not going to go over all the verses right now. I'm not going to put them up. I, these are the kind of verses that I would hope a lot of us would have memorized because they're foundational to everything. But Paul says in Romans 12, you know, be transformed. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. That nor the normal of the world, don't be conformed to that. That pattern of looking at people, the pattern of interpreting things. No, no, rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take what you know to be true because of the resurrection. Take what you know to be true and now begin to transform your mind with it. Go over it, go over it again and again and again. And then Paul says, because in doing that, you will prove for yourself what is the good and perfect will of God. The more you align your mind up with what is true, the more you begin to experience what is true. So the more you become a conduit by which that truth can begin to come into this world and change this world. That's how it works. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, take every thought captive to Christ. Philippians 4.8, he says, whatever things are true, whatever things are good, whatever things are beautiful, whatever things are noble, think on those things. Which means if they're not true, if they're not good, if they're not wise, if they're not noble, then don't think on those things. Set those negative thoughts aside and turn your mind towards the truth, which is, in light of the cross, always positive. Ephesians 4, last one. He, he says, put off that old self, which, which is always being corrupted by its deceptive desires, and, and, and put on that new self created in Christ Jesus by the renewing of your mind. Get your mind to line up with what is reality. With what you know to be true, look at the world through the lens of hope. Uh, it's, it's repeated so often in the New Testament because it's so foundational, and yet it is so, it is so challenging. So challenging. It's challenging because you have got to you, you, you buck the whole culture to do this. You have to buck your—the way that you've been programmed to see people, you've got to set that aside. All the triggers that we have that get activated when we're dealing with people— we have to set those aside in order to have this beautiful x-ray vision of what is true about people and see them in light of the cross. And there's no one who's going to support you in this out in the world. Sometimes you feel like you're alone. You're the weird one looking at the world differently than everyone else. And that's because you are looking at the world differently than everyone else. Like everything else in the kingdom, it goes better if you can do it in relationship with other people to help support you, to keep, keep mindful of this because it doesn't happen overnight. It's a discipline that goes on and on and on. But one way to start uh, we have on our website is this uh, Identity in Christ uh, sheet, which just lists sort of what is true about you because of your identity with Christ. And I encourage everyone to take those verses and, and maybe you want to put them in your own words but, but turn them into a, a saying that you can memorize so that you can be transforming your mind with this. In Christ, I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in, in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm loved with an everlasting love. He sees me as holy and blameless in the sight. And on and on and on. It really ought to be the case that, that that's part of your auto-talk. You'll, you'll know you're making progress when that becomes part of your auto-talk. Uh, the way that you naturally consider yourself as you are in Christ. So you, I encourage you to check out that identity in Christ uh, uh, sheet that we have. This way of looking at the world, you guys, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's, just, it's, a beautiful, it's, it's a beautiful way of looking at the world. I, I, this last year, I'll be honest with you, I... I it, it felt like a kind of a punching bag, and, and, and you go through seasons, I guess, where this happens, where the hope gets punched right out of you. One thing after another, after another, after another. And, and what I found is that 
I mean, that, that, that's depressing in its own way. And having to deal with struggles and stuff, that, that, that's, that, that's difficult, challenging. But it's made this way of looking at the world all the more precious. Uh, however negative life may be, and it can be profoundly, profoundly negative, however negative it can be, uh, here's one positive. Christ rose from the dead, and he's already victorious. And we get to look at the world through that lens. And you see, when you look at, when you, when you let go of, if you let go of that normal way of looking at the world, it's so burdensome. That normal way of looking at the world, we have got a running commentary about people. We can just get activated. Oh, I, I like that. I don't like that. Oh, that, who, how can that person dress like that? Oh, I can't. We just got this commentary. And all of it blocks love. It, it's this pollution that blocks the flow of love. But when you can let go of that, it's not your job to police the world, to have a commentary or have, have an opinion about anything. No, your one job as a kingdom person is to see the new creation. See the new creation. Celebrate the new creation. And then participate with God in bringing that new creation about into experience by aligning your mind with his. So I want to come back to the question that I started with. And this is just one way of applying this teaching here. But is there one area of your life that really could use some newness of life right now? And Holy Spirit, will you just reveal what is it you want to work on? It can be something about yourself, maybe an attitude or a habit or an addiction or a sin stronghold. And maybe you've come to the point where you think, I'll never change. I've said I've changed so many times, but I never have. I always keep slipping back. And you've given up hope about that. But maybe this Easter, the Lord is saying, hey, it's time to breathe some newness of life into that. Uh, look a little closer. Look with eyes of hope. Don't be defined by your past. There's always, because of the resurrection, there's always a newness of life. And maybe it's time to let God start to breathe some newness of life into that. Uh, just because it failed the first 17 times doesn't mean that it will fail the 18th time. No, breathe, regain that hope. See yourself as you are in Christ because of what he's done for you on the cross. It could be your marriage. Maybe, maybe it's gotten old, it's gotten tired, just got habituated. You just kind of do what you do because it's convenient. That's what you've always done. But maybe this Easter the Lord is saying, you know, it's time to resurrect that thing. Look a little closer. Use your x-ray vision. Uh, see the, 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 the beautiful potential that you have. You lost your hunger. You lost your drive to, to, to get closer, to make your marriage better. And maybe the Lord's saying, now it's time to breathe new life into that deadness there, to have a more God-glorifying marriage and, and ask God to download ideas about how to walk forward on that and maybe seek the, the Spirit's wisdom and, and the wisdom of community as to what you can do to liven up your, your, your marriage and to make it come alive again. Or maybe it's a relationship that you have or that you don't have with a sibling, with a child, with a parent. Uh, you just kind of gave up on them. And, and I can get how that happens. Maybe you can't even conceive of what your son would look like if he wasn't on drugs. He's been on drugs for so long. And you can't even imagine him being free of that. Not in this life. Or you just can't imagine your spouse being a little different or your child being different. Or, you, you know, you, you've, you've settled for the relationship you have. You always thought it would be, you wanted to be closer. You wanted to be closer to them, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So you just kind of give up. Where is there deadness in your life? And will you just submit that to the Lord and ask God to give you that x-ray vision to see hope where there wasn't hope before? To believe again. Maybe it's kind of scary because you've been burned so many times. They let you down so many times. And what complicates this is that there are times where, you know, it's, it's, it's all we can do is just have hope for them in, in eternity. <laughs> uh, that you, you, 
at some point they'll be free of this, even if you can't imagine it in this life. There are some times where you have to accept people as they are. In fact, we always have to accept people as they are. Uh, there's always a dimension of that. And you don't work on everything at once. And so there are things that you have to accept. So that's why we need to ask the Spirit for guidance and get wisdom from, from community about what is it that God wants to work on now? Where, where does God want to zero in on now? Where does he want to breathe new life into you now? Where are you supposed to intentionally sharpen your vision and see the truth uh, that is, is, is in Christ Jesus because of the resurrection. Maybe it's time to start believing in that person again. Start praying for that person again. Maybe you, you gave up on that. Or praying for yourself in this particular area. Uh, maybe it's time to start dreaming new dreams. Get a vision for yourself about how you can be. There's always room for improvement, right? And so our, our job is to have that there, not in a way that indicts us, but in a way that inspires us. Being compelled by the love of Christ to become all that we can be in, in, in Christ Jesus. So folks, the resurrection proclaims that the cross changed everything for everyone. Our job is to agree with God about that and now make that the way that we carry ourselves in this world. The way that we look at people in this world. The way that we respond to people in, in, in this world. If anyone's in Christ because of the resurrection, look, just look, there's a new creation. There's a new creation. I'm going to close in prayer here, uh, but I want to remind you of uh, the MuseCast. Uh, they go deeper with the message, and that happens every Tuesday at 4 o'clock. Uh, I want to invite you to join one of our gathering groups where they also discuss the message and, and, and relate together, get to know each other and things like that. That's all online. And if you have any need that could use uh, prayer or counseling or anything like that, uh, please take advantage of the prayer rooms that we have, and there's folks there who would just love to pray with you. I want to close with this on this, this Easter 2021. Lord, we thank you that you have risen from the dead. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to go to the extreme that you went to in order to reconcile us and all creation to yourself. We commit, Lord, to being a people that are unusual, who look at people in unusual ways. We don't want to be addicted to the normal point of view, Lord. Give us fresh eyes to see the truth that one died for all and therefore all have died. To see the world with this beautiful optimism and to be ambassadors who carry about this good news wherever we go. Christ is risen and you say, he's risen indeed. God bless you guys. Can't wait to see you in four weeks. Meanwhile, I'll, you'll see me next week. So God bless you. Take care. Happy Easter.